on Sunday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are broadcasting live out of the Fox Sports Residential Bancorp studio every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, the flagship station of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. Also, here is our social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Uh, yeah, that is correct. The Wiz has his own theme music and producing Chris Magnum Chapman, aside from producing a number of shows um, at Lotus Broadcasting and uh, chiming in on those as well. He also serves as the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and the UNLV football pre pregame show host on our other sister station, ESPN Radio Las Vegas. We're also streaming live on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O U T T A L I N E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp Studio Line is 702 876 1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Resident Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on all of the home financing options currently Available in the state of Nevada. On tap, March Madness Vegas style. Four automatic bids handed out at different venues yesterday. The Vegas Golden Knights keep winning in spite of Bruce Cassidy's being forced to play a game of revolving goalies. Listen, we've, we've had four goalies win games for us this year. We've used a lot of different guys. We try not to change our style of play. I think it's... Most nights, goaltender friendly. Uh, the way we try to defend, we value that part of the game. Um, so, yes, I think you know we're going to keep playing well, and the, the more big saves he, he, he makes, um, you know, the easier it is for everybody to relax if you make a mistake. So, um, yes, I mean, I think it's it's been a good marriage. For- and yeah, that's uh, Bruce Cassidy talking about uh, his goaltenders in him. That's been a good marriage. That's the marriage of uh, Jonathan Quick and the Vegas Golden Knights. Talked about that last week, and we'll talk about it more again today. UNLV men's season is over while the Lady Rebels go dancing. And Jim Gemma joins the show to talk Big League Weekend Part 2 and the 2023 Las Vegas Aviators. And uh, Derek Carr is once again the subject of Fact This. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, contact Residential Bank Corp., the company that is funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on current home financing options in the state of Nevada. And uh, first of all, I want to say good morning to everyone. Good morning, guys in here. Um, uh, Wow, I'm tired. And uh, justifiably tired, man. There's been one tournament after another. You had venues all over town, the Orleans, Dollar Loan Center, Thomas and Mack, Mandalay Bay Event Center, T-Mobile Arena. I mean, things are happening everywhere. A lot of basketball tournaments. Um, I believe four automatic bids were handed out yesterday. Arizona beat UCLA in the Pac-10, a Pac-12 championship game. You had uh, San Diego State knock down Utah State in the Mountain West Conference championship game. 
UC Santa Barbara won the Big West Championship game, and really unfortunate last night, my last game of the night that uh, finished me off was um, the WAC Championship game, and really looking forward to that. Todd Simon the night before, of course, former coach at UNLV and Finley Prep, um, the night before, took his Redbirds of Southern Utah. They were down by 22 points, and I think 16 or 17 points with only like six minutes to go in the game. Came back and won that game. Uh, just incredible, but you could see last night they used up everything. They played the fifth-seeded uh, Grand Canyon team that uh, was just hot and rolling, and um, they won the tournament, and they're going to the dance. But Todd Simon doing a hell of a job at Southern Utah, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit as well. Um, but, uh, Mags, I know you got out to a few things this weekend, but you were kind of stuck in here producing. Yeah, well, well, yesterday I actually had to host the uh, the Golden yep. Knights uh, pregame show um, for uh, Ryan Wallace, who, who was a little under the weather. So, um, yeah, busy, busy Saturday for me. But, yeah, all week it, it was pretty busy. Um, you know, I think next year I want to get out to the Big West because I, I, I like that conference. Hawaii, Hawaii is in that conference, and then it's a bunch of – California schools, but yeah, UCSB gets the big W. Uh, they go dancing second time in the last three years. They they were there in 2021. Before that, you had to go back a decade for the Gauchos to be there, but I saw on television last night as I was watching the game that their legendary coach, Jerry Pym, was in the building, and of course, old school Big West and, and uh, old school UNLV fans know who Jerry Pym is because he he was one of the few guys who actually had some success against Jerry Tarkanian. So it was kind of cool to see Jerry Pym in the building last night. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's really, this is the time of year. I, I think for basketball fans, this is probably our favorite time of year. What, what's great about Vegas, though, is we get the preseason. Well, they're not really preseason in college basketball. They call them preseason for some reason. But, like, we get the, the early out-of-conference big games here. Um, I remember when we would get massive games in high school gyms and Kenyon Martin in Cincinnati came to, to, to Vegas and they played at Valley high school. I've, I mean, I remember going to those tournaments and seeing some really good teams. Eddie Sutton brought Oklahoma state one year. They didn't have the venues in Vegas back at then. the time. Yeah. yeah. So, so they played it at Valley high school and I can't remember Ron Montoya was the principal at Valley high school and he was a massive, massive college basketball guy. And he really, did a pretty good job putting this on it at Valley High School of all places, you know, right there in the middle of town, an older high school. But they would do a phenomenal job, and people who've been here a long time, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And now we've evolved to getting these massive games at, at T-Mobile in the preseason. Well, Even, you, have, you, have, you have T-Mobile now. You have all these great yeah, venues. Yeah, I mean, the Orleans for, for yeah. a long time was having big t- – I saw Kentucky and West Virginia. I saw Kansas and Florida play at yeah. – at the Orleans, when when Florida was the was the the number one team in the country, and then now we we get postseason tournaments up the you know what yeah I mean and, you're gonna, and, and it you gets might, better yeah you might have seen I mean in the Pac-12 tournament this year UCLA one of the better teams in the country they were a little bit beat up going into that yeah championship big, big game injury yesterday. for them but yeah so I mean that that really hurt them but Arizona's a good team the key is is you know you have so much that goes on here in March and again Chris I think the NCAA tournament in this time of year even supersedes basketball fans I think if you're a fan of sports that one and done sudden death scenario of 
of the NCAA tournament, which is kind of like the NFL playoffs, but in a game where you typically see a series of some sort to win a championship, it's really cool. And that's the reason you have Cinderella stories in this tournament, because it's just one game. You you have one lousy game or some team decides to go nuts one game, they beat you. And that's what yeah. makes it so cool. It's the true David Goliath scenario at any given moment. And I think that's what excites us all. But, you know, it's not just that. In Vegas right now, Vegas has blown up to be such a sports town. Last week you had the, the, the Oakland A's and the Cincinnati Reds playing here in big league week. It used to be you get one big league weekend. Now you get two of them. Yeah. And we'll have Jimmy Gemma to talk about that. You had, My guy. You had NASCAR the week Jim after. moves those goalposts like nobody I've ever met. It, it, we might, I told him no forensic audits yes. on the show today. But, uh, but you know, the thing is with NASCAR weekend, you know, it's so big here because it, it comes on the heels of Daytona every year. It's one of the early season races. It's big time. You've got the Bush brothers that are out of Vegas, so that's a huge thing, and that went on last weekend. And then you have, all again, all the college basketball tournaments, and we're not done. After this week, next weekend, you've got Big League Weekend, as I said, part two. You've got Kansas City Royals playing the Colorado Rockies on Saturday and Sunday, and Jimmy will be on to talk about how to get tickets for all of that. You also have um, on as well... Uh, um, then you have at the end of the month you've got the the NCAA the West Regional Finals are here so we'll be sending a team to the Final Four out of Vegas this year T-Mobile Arena and at the same time you've got the NIT for the first time out of Madison Square Garden is going to be played here in Las Vegas at the Orleans I mean so much going on and then of course the Red Hot Chili Peppers come in April 1st maybe not a sporting event but you know what's exciting for me and I got the call that yes I will be sitting backstage and hanging out with my buddy Chad Smith a little bit, so that's pretty cool. Because last time the COVID thing, they were all paranoid, yeah. and you know, Flea and, and Anthony Kiedis cannot get sick, obviously, or they, they and they were on this big massive tour, so they were kind of staying away from everyone. Even family and friends had to keep a distance. This time around, it's going to be a little bit different. I got friends coming in from Detroit, so I'm excited about that. But let's get into this, man, because I have been chopping at the bit all week to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights and they keep winning, which makes it even better and a good subject. And I want to get this subject in early before Jimmy comes on later on in the show. So let's get this one going. Spence, go ahead and hit it, man. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, it was like, you know, two, two really good teams uh, we were able to beat. So uh, I think it's you know, a good confidence builder for us. And uh, especially tonight, too, it's you know, not an easy building to plan. Uh, and I thought we you know, handled it well and did a lot of things well. And, uh, and obviously, we were able to come out on the right side of yeah, Nicholas Haig talking about the last two games. I mean, just monster games. You know, you're playing the Tampa Bay team that that probably has the ultimate one full line in hockey. I mean, it's hard to get past uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but when you talk about Tampa Bay and Steven Stamkos, uh, Nikita Kucherov, and Braden Point, Chris, I, I, I mean, how terrifying is a line like that? You got Braden Point again, who is going off and going to just broke his career record for goals scored. Steven Stamkos. 
Stamkos, one of the, the most prolific goal scorer in Tampa Bay Lightning history. That guy is just, I mean, they're going to put a statue of him up out there when he finally retires. And, and then it comes Nikita Kucherov. To me, one of the greatest postseason players in the history of the National Hockey League. Two Stanley Cups under his belt, and Tampa Bay might not be done yet. So for them to go in there and win that game the way they did, and especially knowing that, you know, Jonathan Quick has to stay healthy and everything else, it was a monumental win. And to follow that up with a thrashing and a beating of Carolina, I mean, a sh- his third game, st- third start with the Vegas Golden Knights, and Jonathan Quick already has his second shutout of the season. It's funny, you know, we're going to talk about Jonathan Quick in a little while, but uh, it is crazy um, what this guy means now to the Vegas Golden Knights. And again, it was a make-sense trade. You got a veteran, a guy that in his past and in his prime is one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. What he did his first year in 2012, the first year I should say the Los Angeles Kings won their first Stanley Cup was 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 unprecedented. You to go from just making the playoffs at the end of the season, squeaking in as the A seed, and it proves again what I say all the time: how important goaltending is in the postseason in the National Hockey League. No other sport. The last line of defense is monumental because you can have a guy who might be average on an on a, on a average to poor team that gets into the playoffs and all of a sudden this guy just gets hot. It's like, you know, a zone. Goalies go into zones like batters and other players in sports and they go into a zone and all of a sudden they become lights out. Jonathan Quick has been able to do that twice in his career in the postseason. Won the Vesna Award Trophy. MVP in the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, this guy was as good as it gets at times. And last week, you know, we got a lot of flack. Chris, you're you're in it with me when we get the we're in the Facebook messaging thing and people talking about him. And I got right in there and I stood my ground and said, "Listen, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be great. He's going to be legendary. But you know what? It's kind of like Mark Andre Fleury. He's a little older than Fleury was when he first came here. But you know, the same thing. Your team's done with you. He went for two and a half months without getting a victory this year in L.A. He had one shutout coming in, and he gets his career rejuvenated. First, he thinks, oh, my God, I'm going to Columbus. And then he ends up just getting a a great call to say, hey, you're going to go to a team that's competing for a Stanley Cup again. And I said, you know, this could rejuvenate him. This can excite him, especially with a defense like the Vegas Golden Knights have. When when they're healthy, those six defensemen are as good as any six, three lines of defense in the National Hockey League. And then you've got players in front of them that are world class, that can score goals. and, And, you know, it just lights a guy like Jonathan Quick up, and you saw it last night. Carolina is no slouch. This is a team that is very fast. They have guys that can put the puck in the net. They also play pretty sound at both ends of the ice, and they're a good neutral zone team. Man, we completely, when I say we, here I am being a homer, but the Vegas Golden Knights neutralized a lot of their game, Chris. And you know, I ripped on William Carlson last week just a little bit, just saying, you know, he scored 43 goals. I don't know, you know, what's happened to him since then, you know, barely over 10 goals. This guy does the little things like he had maybe a little lull. Who knows? Maybe he was listening to the show last week because this week he has been out of his mind. And the one thing yesterday, even though he only had the one assist yesterday, um, the one thing about him yesterday is he won so many crucial draws in that game. I know you were following it, Chris. And to have a guy, a centerman, and we have a couple of them now with Chandler Stevenson, with, with William Carlson, that can win draws fairly consistently, that is can can be monstrous, and it was yesterday against Carolina. Well, yeah, guys winning draws is huge. I mean, we saw it in the Devils game a couple weeks ago in overtime. The Devils sent one guy out, McLeod, to win 
face-offs in overtime. He went five for five, and he got off the ice immediately after yeah. the face-off because he's he's not there, one of their overtime guys. But he's so good at winning face-offs that they sent him out there. Uh, look, the, this team, what what the Jonathan Quick move, what it shows is Kelly McCrimmon is playing seven-dimensional chess while we're still trying to get the packaging off the box uh, because clearly he knew something we all didn't. And, I mean, look, three games I, I get as a small sample size. Yeah, I'm going to take some credit, Chris. I have been jumping all over the Jonathan. Now, again, we, you know, I'm not going to say this is right now. Jonathan Quick could, could come down to earth. He might just be on this immense well, rush well, right now. He but could, but but the, the, the thing is. They need him desperately right he, now. He knew the time frame on the goalies, which is something we didn't know. And the fact that L.A. probably wouldn't trade Quick to Vegas, and yet they still found the way to get him for virtually nothing. What a seventh round pick and Michael Hutchinson who who gave up five goals or four goals in in a short amount of time last week when he had when he made his debut in Columbus. Um, look, it, it was a good move. Whether or not it pays off in a Stanley Cup, we don't know. But what what's what we can only live in the present. And right now, Jonathan Quick is helping the Golden Knights stay in first place, not only in the Pacific Division, but in the entire Western Conference. I know the Stars won last night, so Vegas and Dallas are really right now fighting for that number one overall seed neck, neck in, and neck. in the West. And it's kind of funny, right? Pete DeBoer goes to Dallas, and all of a sudden the Stars are right there fighting for, mm-hmm. for the first overall seed when last year they were fighting just to get into the playoffs. That would be a cool That would be a cool um, a Pacific uh, Coast. Western Conference Western Final, Conference yeah. Final it, would, it would be kind of fun, right? I mean, I, I like Pete. I enjoy him personally, I, I but... At that point, he becomes the enemy, right? He, like, Pete was always, you know what? I I like him too, Chris. He was always way. good to good I'll, to us. I'll and say yes. I'll say I respect him. He was good to us. He answered questions. The the one word when you say about a personality, and, and at least to us, he has this little quirky thing, but it's kind of dry. He's very kinda, dry yeah, sense of humor. Yeah, he does. He's he's a very very funny guy. He is, and that's the thing is, but it's dry, and you got to pay attention because he's one of those guys that doesn't change an expression, yeah. but throws out that joke, and if you're not paying attention, you, you know. Miss it. Yeah, and and, you know, I, and, I, and and Bruce Cassidy's uh, got a bit of that in him yeah, too because there's been a couple times well, Bruce where Cassidy's f- f- flat out sarcastic. Yes, and, I, and I love it. There's been a few times in in pressers where he's kind of like taken taken a, a, a shot at me, but a funny like almost like like one day where it was Jets Patriots week, and he he spent a lot of time in Boston. He knows he knows a lot of the coaches around the city. You know he he knows guys who who coach with the Patriots. I think he said he he knew Belichick. And I was wearing a Jets hat and a Jets T-shirt in the press conference in, in the morning. And in the middle of an answer, he's like, and nobody should be wearing a Jets hat in the, in this room or something. <laughs> like, literally right in the middle of an answer. And, and that means he likes you. That's yeah, all I, that means. You know? I, I, I mean, think so. And, you, and, don't, you don't rip on guys in public that you don't like unless you really don't like them and they're stupid. And, that's and there's not no the reason for him to, to not no, like me. No, you know? he, but, but he's, he so, likes you. So, yeah, I mean, the move for quick paid off and, and as you mentioned last night's game you know the, the 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 point i made before the game and the pregame show was that it was an opportunity for the golden knights to make a statement and they made a statement last night they put the rest of the nhl on notice that we don't have mark stone we don't care we don't have our our three top goaltenders, and we don't care. Yeah, I mean, and, and that is no. And I agree with you, Chris. One of the things I did want to say, and I do want to make sure we get to this. You know, 
The one thing with Jonathan Quick, and I've noticed this before in his past, he, he's not a big fan of the media, never really has been. And he's a little bit difficult to talk to at times. He can be a man of few words. And it aggravated me a bit after this great performance where he should be totally stoked. And if he hadn't played so many NHL games and been in so many big NHL games, he would have been stoked about his performance yesterday against one of the better teams in the NHL. And he shut him out in only his third game with a new team that is all looking to him to lead now by example. Because, you know, uh, I heard another question. Nick Hague was asked, you know, like, how are you guys acclimating yourself, you know, with, with Jonathan Quick? And he looks at me and goes, there's nothing we could teach Jonathan Quick. I mean, this guy, you know, he's the epitome of goaltending. So, but then Ashley Vice talks to him after the game. And I wanted to play this. I actually videotaped this myself off of my television set. So you'll see it on YouTube and on Facebook Live, if you're watching, you'll be able to hear it on the radio. But I was a little bummed because he was kind of standoffish and almost condescending to Ashley Vice after the game. And she kind of jabbed him right at the end. You could hear it when he went away. She jabbed him when she threw it back to Gary Lawless. Um, but you can hear what the, the interview. And go ahead and play that, Spencer. Jonathan only took you three games as a Golden Knight to log your first shutout. How has this transition to this team been compared to what you expected when you first got the news? I mean, uh, when I first got the news I was coming here, I, I you know, had a couple relationships already on this team, so I uh, felt comfortable immediately. And, you know, meeting uh, the guys that I didn't know before, before they're, you know, it's all it's the same energy. So, um you know, I'm just uh, grateful for the opportunity they're giving me here. And, uh, you know, just uh, trying to help these guys win some games. Speaking of the relationships you had coming in, I uh, saw that Braden McNabb was the first guy to skate up to you. What was that conversation like? Uh, when? Right when the game ended. Oh, I mean, just, uh, just you know, good game. Not a battle. We're, we're looking to get off the ice, so nothing uh, too long. Yeah. You said that uh, you knew what to expect from this team a little bit, but what have you learned about them in these last few games? Um, they, they, you know, they compete. They find ways to win. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fun team to play behind. Appreciate the time, Jonathan. Thank you. Doesn't say much, but the performance speaks for itself, guys. <laughs> Doesn't say much, but this is, I love that little jab she got it at the end. But it just bothered me a little bit. You know what? Each to his own. You know, Jonathan's first time, but Ashley is so nice, and and she really works on not you know putting the players on the spot, but yet she asks the question she needs to ask, and I've always liked that about her. I respected it. I just thought you know he could have been a little bit nicer. You just shut out the Carolina Hurricanes on the road. Your second win against one of the best teams in the NHL, be a little bit happier and be a little bit more courteous. That's just my opinion on that, Chris. Uh, but, you know, again, like she said, his play spoke for itself. He made some tremendous saves and really gave them a whirlwind of confidence now that they're okay, uh, you know, going into, you know, some some more tough games. And, you know, back-to-back, you got to turn right around, head straight to St. Louis, uh, you know, from Carolina, which isn't a huge trip, but it's still something that they've got to deal with, and then go there and obviously Jonathan Quick has got to rest. He's 37 years old. So tonight, um, tonight um, you're gonna you're gonna have uh, Yuri Patera in goal for the first time in his NHL career. As he, as a matter of fact, first time I can't say NHL yeah, he's, career. He's never played. This is his the begin. This is his NHL he's debut. Never tonight. played a minute in the NHL. And so, the funny thing is, he is the longest tenured goalie to not have played in the in NHL. the organization. Yeah. He, he was drafted yeah. in the oh, very first draft, believe yeah. it or not, in the sixth round. And here he is now. Uh, we're expecting that he will make his first 
uh, play his first minutes in the NHL. He was on the bench last year backing up Logan Thompson at the end of the season. He did not see any action in those games, but uh, he backed up. He backed up quick the last two games. Yeah, so you know he's, and I, I will tell you because I know we have a different audience. I've said it before on on other shows, but. I spoke with Brian McCormick, who is the play-by-play voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. And one of the things he told me about Patera was the kid has a ton of confidence and he plays with confidence. So I think that's really important for a goalie to have confidence and a short memory. And it sounds like Patera's got those, those qualities. And we know that the team will play well in front of him. The other aspect of this, look, Ivan Barbashev, who's played his entire career with the St. Louis Blues, he returns to St. Louis tonight. I don't know what that means. You know, you never know. Is a guy going to? I always, but, but, you know, I think he gets a goal tonight. But I think Barbashev, He he strikes me as a guy who will show up. Yeah, it's like it's like Perron when he plays the Golden Knights when he first came back oh, and played the Knights. Yeah, he yeah. was he was just he was he was he, he was, was everywhere. Yes, he was a terror. Yeah. And I I get the impression Barbashev going to be the same way is, is a bit like that. And I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because again you talked about you know Kelly McCrimmon the moves he made and he's playing seven dimensional hockey while we're still open in the box. I love the analogy because I think that's exactly what's happening. You look at the moves he made. A lot of people that don't follow the game uh, really you haven't heard of the players other than Jonathan Quick. You didn't know who Ivan Barbashev was. I did, but I mean, we follow hockey, Chris. That's what we do. And I knew a little bit about Teddy Bluger, just that the guy liked to mix it up. He's not going to score a lot. He's not going to show up in the scoring column a lot, but what he's going to do is the little things, the intangibles that you need on a hockey team. Things to make be a little bit of a different degree than Ryan Reeves used to do for this team because Teddy Bluger's not Ryan Reeves, but he is a tough guy and he will mix it up. And you know what? When they were in that big fight the other night, he was right there, man. Bluger was like a guy like, and he's a guy that NFL, excuse me, NHL players know that he'll mix it up with you, that he will drop his gloves. And when you have a reputation of a guy that will drop your gloves, that is something you always got to keep in the back of your mind when you start roughing it up with somebody. Who's going to drop their gloves and who's going to dance? You know, um, Bluger's a guy that drops his gloves, so you know I think he's a, you know a perfect fit for this team. And then Jonathan Quick, the final piece to the puzzle. And after the after yesterday's game, Jonathan Marchessault talked about Jonathan Quick and what he means to this team, but also about you know the revolving goaltenders. I mean, it's uh, part of our success, right? It's just uh, a healthy competition out there, and uh, they get out there and. All of them give us a chance to win every night, and obviously Quick was uh, unbelievable tonight, and uh, we're able to get him the the shutout, and that's uh, something that I think uh, our team should be really proud to do for him. Yeah, and and I think they were proud to do for for everyone. I mean, uh, you know, all all you could see after the game, it's like, wow, this is really cool. Now they don't have to worry about it because, again, even though Jonathan Quick is this great veteran and has this storied history, his goals against was lousy this year. He again, he didn't. He, he went for two and a half months without a win, playing with a mediocre to poor Los Angeles Kings team. But in the same respect, you know, you think, okay, is he done? He, you know, he's, he's past the twilight. It's time to hang up the skates. And here he comes in. He's rejuvenated. And like I said, if he can just give them the rest of this season, win 
eight, nine hockey games, get in the postseason. If he's got to be the guy in the postseason, then be the guy. But hopefully one or two of the other guys will come back, be ready to rock and roll when it's all said and done. And I think Jonathan Quick now, and I think this is in the back of Bruce Cassidy's mind, is this is going to be, if he's not the guy between the pipes, he is going to be dressed for most of the postseason games. So between the other three guys, they're going to have to figure out who's going to be in net. But I think you want a guy like Jonathan Quick on the bench when that's all said and done. And, um, you know, now 16 regular season games to go. They've won 40 games again, which is huge. Matter of fact, they've mustered 40 games every season except for the uh, COVID year. They have mustered 40 wins in a season, and I think they got a lot more more in them. I think that, you know, you're still probably looking at 16 more points out of this team before it's all said and done. Maybe they'll even get to 100. Uh, good season for the Vegas Golden Knights. I do expect them, believe it or not, I'm saying it right now, I do expect them to win the Western Conference now. I think they can win it, and I think they can even climb. I think they're fifth right now overall. I think they can even pass Toronto and get into fourth. But we'll see what happens. But good year to this point for the Vegas Golden Knights. Guys, you know, talked about all the tournaments going on, and I want to transition over to that right now. Um, UNLV men's basketball, you know, the Air Force game was almost what we feared it could have been, a loss. They ended up getting to overtime. They played well enough in overtime to win that game and move on to the actual Mountain West Conference tournament. That was the playing game where they finished as the seventh seed. They played Air Force the 10th seed, and it was almost a mirror image of the game they had played before, except they didn't have to make this monumental comeback against them. They just had to stay in the game, which they did, and they they won in overtime. Then they go up against Boise State, the number two seed in the in the in, in the Mountain West Conference, and um, you know everyone is uh, you know thinking, well, you know Boise State handled them pretty easily when they played them, so this isn't going to be a good game. And Boise State went up by as many as twenty two points. UNLV comes all the way back and almost wins this game. Matter of fact, I was sitting right there. I think I sent it to Spence. I don't know if you have the video. We can play it in the background while we're talking. But um, I was sitting right there in the corner, and this team literally uh, just came back. It was, it was wild seeing the end of this game. Shane Wells f- fumbling the ball around over far baseline, extended left, almost in the corner, almost out of bounds. He finally gets gets his hands on the ball, and literally with like .2 seconds, it leaves his hands, and it goes in the net, and they tie the game. And I thought, wow, UNLV's got all this momentum, but they used up everything getting back at this game, and they had nothing left in the tank for overtime against a team that does score well from the perimeter, that is bigger, that is more sound defensively, and is, you know, quite frankly, better coached by Leon Rice. So they ended up winning the game. And I said before last week, I said it with Kevin on the show, last week that this team to have any chance for a postseason bid they'd have to win two games in the Mountain West and I said with their resume and if they win two games in the Mountain West Conference, because they'll have now beaten Boise, they'll have beaten Reno twice, they'll have beaten two Power Five conference teams in Minnesota and Washington State, no matter how bad they are, they're Power Five conference teams. And they beat they beat Dayton when they were ranked, and they beat New Mexico in the pit when New Mexico was rolling, and a team that everyone's like, wow, what is going on with New Mexico? They started 14-0. and So that, that resume with a win over Boise in the tournament, I think would have been enough to maybe get them an NIT bid. Now, you know, there's a... 
outside possibility of CBA, but nobody at, at, at UNLV is going to let them they're go not, and spend the money. In that crap no, yet. they're not going to. So I just kind of broke down like the, the tournaments. And by the way, so San Diego State went on, beat Utah State in a pretty damn good game yesterday, where Utah State had a double digit lead at one point. And um, you know, I mean, the bottom line is Matt Bradley's the best player in the Mountain West Conference, the best pro prospect, and he showed up when he had to. And the bottom line is, at the end of the game, San Diego State's defense became suffocating. Barristow, who's what, I think he's in his 10th year at Utah State now, he disappeared in the championship game after playing so well against Boise, so well in games when he had to. This well, guy, he wasn't really noticeable against uh, New Mexico either. No, not, not really. You know, there's a way to defend him. And again, you know, you, know, you, look, at, you, you look at Ashworth. I mean, this kid, this kid well, is... Well, Ashworth and Funk were, were phenomenal. They were Well, Funk was unbelievable in the, in the, New, the, Mexico boy, in, in the New Mexico game. Yeah. Yeah. Then and, he kind of disappeared. Yes. In the, in the, but that's that's the the, the 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 model of a good team, right? Well, because because State- you have multiple players who can step up in in the moment. Unfortunately, yesterday none of them really stepped up in the moment. No, but. You know, I, I, well, it's funny who stepped up in the moment was uh, Devin Darius, their center, yeah. who's like seventh. He finally had a good game. He was, the thing what he was doing yesterday. He was getting boards, which when you're seven foot one, you, you should, should be getting rebounds. And he was putting in the bunnies right underneath the basket, which you also should do. And he got himself double digit points. Came close to a double double with rebounds. He helped him out, but but you know the bottom line is is you know Barristow let him down tremendously. It was like Boise State. You look at Boise State, and on the season, Leon's son, Max Rice, is their second-leading scorer. And so what does Max Rice do? He has one point in the semifinal game against Utah State. When your second-leading scorer scores one point and plays, like, 35 minutes, you're not going to win. Um, but, you know, hats off to San Diego State. Dutcher has a juggernaut. He's taken over for Steve Fisher. He's doing the same thing. San Diego State has been always known since I've been covering since 2012. They are known as the best defensive team in the Mountain West Conference and a team that always plays sound defense. Occasionally in their in, in, in a Fisher's and Dutcher's run, they've been one of the top 25 defensive teams in the country. They have that ability and at the end of games when it's crucial, they find a way to shut you down. And like a rope, you know, you see a guy like him. Six points yesterday, Chris, but that was not indicative of how this guy played. He does so many other things for this team defensively, getting loose balls, hustling after rebounds. That's what San Diego teaches is relentless, and that's what that's what they become when they get close to the end of a game. And then they always have that one player, like a guy like Matt Bradley, that's NBA quality, and that, that can be the difference maker, and, and San Diego State's famous for that. Well, they've been doing it for, for 20 years, you yeah. know, and it started with, look, and, and this is the thing with San Diego State. You can hate them as a Rebel fan, but I think the reality is San Diego State was a garbage basketball program. They were one of the worst. They were like Cal State Northridge. They were so bad. Rem- I they, only remember him when Fish was there. Well, I, I, they they took a chance on Steve Fisher, right? Steve Fisher got himself in a little bit of trouble at the University yeah. of Michigan. You know, you know a little bit about that a stuff. A little bit about that, yeah. And San Diego State was willing to overlook that, take a chance. The, Steve Fisher ran an absolutely clean program the entire time he was at San Diego State. No problems, no trouble. And he handed the reins to his hand-picked successor. And Brian Dutcher, I, 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 I thought he was older than he was. We looked it up. He's actually not as old as any of us thought he was. No. He's right so right, so, I, so I, I the was, bad news for Rebel fans, he's going to be there for a while. A because I think 
Brian Dutcher is in for the long run at San Diego State. I don't think he's he plans. You know what, he, he, Chris Brian Dutcher is a good recruiter, and but, he but, doesn't misuse the portal. But they gets, get guys to buy in. No, that, they get guys to buy in, but they get guys to come over from the portal that that help his team. Like he recognizes, you know, and that's something that Kevin Kruger, maybe in time, maybe with some more experience, will recognize guys in a porthole uh, that can help you, not just oh my God, he played at uh, West Virginia. We got to jump on that guy. Now, how well, do you well, know? Well, and, the thing is, like, like. The, the 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 portal has completely changed college basketball. But yeah, oh, it has. I I think at the end of the day, and and I don't think we have too much time to get into it. But you and I were in the press conference with Justin Webster and and Kevin Kruger after UNLV lost to Boise State. Everybody in that room, their heart sunk into their stomach when they heard Justin Webster talking about what his plans were. Yeah, I have that. I have that. Unfortunately, I, I'm not even going to have Spencer try to play it. I know the level Spence are. Spence levels are pretty low on those videos, right? I changed them, Brian. I have them there. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, this is Justin Webster, what Chris was alluding to. And I felt the same way. You know, as mature as Justin Webster has been at times. And, 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 and a week ago, after that, that loss to Fresno State, and he just stood up and said, you know what, this is one of the worst games I've ever been a part of. And he was repulsed with himself and repulsed with the team. And everyone in the media kind of felt bad for him, but at the same time had this respect, like said, wow, that was pretty cool. And then they bounced back and, and went on the road and beat Reno. And beat Reno. For the, the, only play, the only game they lost at home all season. Yep, and, and, and so everyone, like I said, was, was really high on Justin Webster. And then after the game, he's asked about, you know, what players does he think is going to come back, and is he going to come back? And this was his response to that. Um, I can't speak for those guys. Um, obviously, I know Coach and everybody will have my back uh, for me, myself. Um, it's just something I got to talk to my family about, which I to decide what my future is. Um, whether it's going to be here, whether I decide to take another, um, take another route. But um, it's something that I want to think about. I'm going to talk to the coaches, talk to my family, I'm going to pray about it. Yeah, and uh, you know it left a sour taste in all of our mouth. He was basically saying to Kevin Kruger, "Look, I'm not coming back, and uh, this is the nicest way that I can put it. Where the proper way to do that, and I think you know it, it's partially coaching. You got to tell the guy, look, okay, you're going to leave next year. Just say right now, it's right after the tournament. There's a fresh wound right now with a bandaid on it. Just go out and say, look, we just got done playing. I haven't even thought about that right now. That's the that's the politically correct answer, and I think that's the answer he should have given. Uh, you know, we all got the hint. We I'll get it, but I didn't like it, and uh, and that was a little bit bothersome. Um, Kevin Kruger's final thoughts on UNLV's season this year. Uh, this is what he had to say about that. I think it, it, it should be remembered as a group that competed like crazy. I think uh, every night, guys, uh, they battled, they fought, um, you know, down big, made big runs, had some really good wins, um, had some really good road wins, and uh, I still think at the end of the day, Everyone takes a breath, but this, this is still a group that should be remembered for uh, being an incredibly competitive and, and group that fights. 
And, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just don't know what to say. I, I wish Kevin the best. He's going to get another season. I hope things work out better in the portal, lose some players, and we'll see what happens. Um, but, I, you know, in the same token, I want to say tremendous congratulations to Lindy LaRoque, Lindy LaRoque, who was on our show last week. We talked about what might happen, and Lindy, uh, it all worked out for three straight wins. They, uh, they end up uh, beating um, Wyoming and going again for their second straight season regularly regular season and postseason champions in the Mountain West Conference. And uh, it was really cool. And this was what Lindy had to say after the game. We're doing whatever it takes. They had to look in their eye this morning. Um, and I knew we were going to come away with this one. Just uh, with these three, um, you know, Justice, Alyssa, Kiera, uh, all of them from top to bottom. Uh, they wanted this more than anything. And they went out there and did it. They sure did, and uh, congratulations to Lindy LaRock and the UNLV uh, Lady Rebels. Uh, great job, great tournament. They did what they were supposed to do. Uh, they are in the top 20 uh, top twenty or 21 in the country right now, and the big thing is, is where are they going to get seated? Today's the selection show for the women as well. Where will they get seated? Um, you know, last year they got a 13 seed. They ended up having to play Arizona, and they played them very well. I hope the committee looks at that because first-round games in the NCAA very heavily favor the the higher seed because they get a home game and UNLV I think the ceiling even though they went 31 and 2 I think the ceiling because of the Mountain West Conference and the way it is viewed it's a one bid league uh, they will probably get the ceiling is the A seed and that would give them a home game unfortunately if they got the A seed the next game would be against one of the four number one seeds and you know the top, the women's basketball when you get to the upper echelon teams that are good they're just almost impermeable it's very hard to do in the women's game what you see happen with an underdog in the men's game when you're talking about one of the giants. And uh, But I think UNLV is good enough, and I think they've done enough to, to warrant an eight seed, especially being a top 20 team in the country. But we'll see what happens. If they're not an eight seed, they will go on the road somewhere again for game one. But Lindy LaRock, great job. Hats off to her. She did a tremendous job. We'll talk a little bit more about the NCAA tournament. Also, wait for fact this. It's going to be pretty exciting, but I, we'll get, uh, I want to get Magnum's and Spencer's thoughts on uh, who the number one seeds are going to be. Right now, we're going to go out. We've got Jim Gemma, the media relations director, and a guy that is all over college basketball. You see him at venues being a spotter for so many different games. A uh, friend of mine been on the show several times. Jim Gemma. Jim, um, all kinds of stuff happened, especially down at the Las Vegas ballpark, moving the goalposts. Brian, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to have our uh, second big league weekend uh, this Saturday, Sunday, the 18th and 19th, the Colorado Rockies with Chris Bryant, and uh, we'll play the Kansas City Royals. we uh, have two games in spring training here at 1.10 p.m. Uh, both days, and uh, tickets available to the Las Vegas ballpark. Box office and the aviatorslv.com. There you go, way to get tickets. And Jim, uh, the the season begins pretty soon. Here we are, uh, everything back to normal now for the most part, if you want to call things normal. And um, you've got the season coming up. The home opener, I believe, is April 4th on a Tuesday. And people, uh, season tickets for those ticket packages, uh, please let everyone know how to do that. Yeah, um, individual game tickets, group tickets, uh, and as you said, season tickets. Uh, best thing to do is call the Aviators uh, administrative offices uh, during uh, normal business hours, uh, Monday through Friday, 702-943-7200. Uh, 
to purchase individual game tickets, the easiest thing to do is go to aviatorslv.com. Jim, some of the things that people can look forward to this year out at the Las Vegas ballpark with attending Aviators games. Yeah, uh, this year uh, the PCL is actually going to start in March. Uh, our our season openers in Reno, March 31st, yep. April 1 and 2. And then, as you said, we come home and play the Oklahoma City Dodgers right out of the bat, which would be great because uh, uh, it's always good when the Dodgers affiliate comes. So we'll have them April 4th through the 9th. We actually have a 12-game homestand uh, to open the, the home season, uh, the Dodgers and then the Salt Lake uh, Bees. So uh, on our website, uh, you go to promotional nights. Uh, we'll have uh, Firework Friday, uh, you know, $2 uh, beer nights on Thursdays. Uh, Summerlin, downtown Summerlin, uh, it's so dog-friendly. We do the Bark in the Park every every Wednesday home game uh, throughout. And obviously, this is our 40th anniversary season. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, well, we're finally getting a pro team. Uh, obviously, we have Major League Sports here now, which is fantastic. We've had a professional team here since 1983. So this is our 40th anniversary season. So we'll uh, tie in some of those uh, themes this year with some throwback jersey nights. And uh, once we get all the uh, jersey nights and the Marvel nights, Star Wars nights, those will all be posted to the website here uh Sooner than later, and we'll be talking about him here. I'll uh, I'll try to get Jim to give us some tickets to give away throughout the season uh, at different points of the season on the show. But Jim, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you because now they're they are making Major League Baseball the change that the minor leagues already been used to, and that is a pitch timer. And I've seen it play wreak havoc already at the major league level in spring training. I've seen a game end on a batter uh, not getting set in time, giving the pitcher ample time to for him to pitch the ball, and and they rung the batter up on strikes. What what did you notice during Big League Weekend 1? Did you notice any discomfort, anything out of the normal? Because one thing I have heard from fans, and I will say this, fans over 40 have been saying they don't like the speed of the game, that it's almost too fast from now, which is hilarious because, you know, baseball is traditionally a kind of a paced game, and now it has speeded up a bit, but I have heard people complain about it. Have you Did you notice anything different with, at the major league level yeah and, uh, obviously the, the minor leagues we've using the pitch clock for years and all these rules you're seeing now so a lot of the guys coming through the minor leagues you know majority of your players are in in the system in the major it, it's your veteran players like you know max scherzer's going to whine and your your veteran they're just going to have to cope with it uh really once it gets going and once they all get the rules going with the pitch clock you're it, you don't even notice it after a while. Uh, you, you know, the bottom line is the batters just get in and hit. Uh, you know, people don't want to see guys adjust their gloves in 30 seconds between pitches. That's that's the gist of the rule. So uh, when they enforced it in the minor leagues last year, it, it cut off like 25 minutes. So, uh, you know, the bottom line is uh, it, it's still a great game between the chalk lines. And, uh, and once it gets going, people are not even going to notice the pitch clock. Yeah, you know, and that's the goal of Major League Baseball is cutting about 25 minutes off the games. And again, for me, I like it, but I have heard complaints on other ends that, uh, you know, and again, it, where it's going to affect people too is getting to the ball games late. You don't want to get there super late now or before you could, you know, get there, you know, get there a half hour late, 45 minutes late. It'll only be the second inning. Now it'll be the fourth inning. But uh, Jim, uh, yeah, 
I can't emphasize enough to people out there, if you haven't been to the Las Vegas ballpark, you were talking about uh, one of the nicest, if not the nicest, minor league ballpark in the country right here in Las Vegas up in Summerlin. It's always a great time, Jim, and always great to have you on the show, my friend. Moving the goalposts with Jim Gemma, the media relations director of the Las Vegas Aviators. Appreciate you. Brian, thanks for having me on. Uh, Take care. I'll see you soon at the ballpark. Absolutely. We'll be out there real soon. I'll be out there next weekend for the uh, big league uh, big league weekend number two. And, uh, guys, before we get to fact this, I want to really quickly just, uh, as far as the tournament goes, and I'm going to give you each one minute to talk about this, who do you guys see? Um, and, and I've been following pretty closely as of late. we got some big conference championship state games today. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to say my final four, Mags, I'll give it to you, and I want to hear Spencer's as well. I got to believe Houston's going to going to be a number 1 seed. I think they, they they're not going to have a problem. Alabama if they beat A&M today, they're going to be the number 1 seed. I, I I can't I can't imagine and I think Alabama will beat A&M although A&M's playing really well. Purdue if they beat uh, Penn State, I think they move into one of the top four seeds because of the UCLA loss to Arizona. And I think Marquette, uh, that pounding of Xavier Xavier yesterday, really bodes well for them to get a number one seed. And I think UCLA will be the fifth seed, needing one of those teams to lose in a conference championship game at Purdue or in Alabama to get beat to move back into a number one seed. I don't think Arizona gets a number one seed. And even though Texas manhandled Kansas, which was a little bit of a surprise, Texas is for real. And it's team you need to watch out for, I still think they're on the outside looking in, probably looking at a number two seed right now, uh, which I think they will get a number two seed. But I'll tell you, Shaka Smart, man, look at this guy make his comeback. Didn't do real well in Texas, but here he is as Marquette, and this Marquette team is for real. This is a team that has Final Four capability. Remember that. And Duke is also playing real well right now in the ACC. Don't be surprised if they make a little run in the tournament. Chris, who do you like? Yeah, well, you know, I my, I immediately thought of Duke because of how well they've they've they they're playing. I think they've won now nine straight games. Uh, look, the the reality is this is probably the most wide open tournament in a, a really long time. Uh, there's so many teams that I think could lay claim to to the idea that they would win the NCAA tournament. Houston now Sasser was injured yesterday for them. Obviously, that's that's a major major question mark for them. UCLA has their injury that they're dealing with. So until I know the status on Sasser, I know Houston will be a number one over a number one seed. I don't know if they're going to win or make the final four until I know the status. No, of, I agree of Sasser, with that, but I'm but saying seeding. I I like Alabama. I do like Kansas. I like Houston, and I I I think it's going to be UCLA regardless of what happened last night. Now, will the committee penalize them for for the injury? I I don't know, but if they do, Marquette is certainly someone who is playing well. You mentioned Shaka Smart. I don't know, Brian. It's close. I don't think Marquette gets a number one seed. If I think if it's not UCLA, it'll be Purdue. Yeah, you, well, again, if Purdue loses to Penn State, no. And um, UCLA, you can't give it to Arizona, even though they've got a good record. But um, I, I think UCLA has a better chance of getting that number one seed than Kansas does now. Kansas absolutely got shellacked by Texas in that championship game, and they're healthy. So that the committee has to take into account. I think Kansas and Texas will both get number two seeds. That's just my opinion. Spence, you got a minute. What do you got for me for the final four? The final four prediction? No, no, no forget no, final forget... four. Excuse me. I mean the four number one seeds 
in today's list. I mean, I'd say Alabama, Houston, Kansas, UCLA are probably like the safest bets. And I'll say my final four prediction very quickly. Houston, I, I feel like it's always weird. You always feel like the best. Well, you don't know you what don't you know don't know where they're going to end up. You don't know what brackets are going to unless you're taking all number one seeds. Then you know where they're going to be. True. So I'm, I'll stick with that. I'm going to say Alabama, Houston, Kansas, and UCLA. I don't know if they're going to get the number one seeds, but I feel like those teams deserve the number one seeds. Well, yeah, I, and I think I think so too. The Final Four is going to be interesting. We'll we'll talk about that more when we get into the tournament. We see where everyone's seated. Uh, next week will be a better time for us to make our Final Four predictions. Uh, let's jump right into this because I've wanted to talk about this for a minute. Uh, fact this. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. It is a fact. Uh, Derek Carr will be getting $150 million over the next four years to be the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. This leaves me shaking my head and leads me to believe inside of those four years, the Saints will see what Raiders fans have seen for the last nine seasons, an average signal caller that is very rich because NFL quarterbacks are at such a premium. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I know Derek Carr was going to go somewhere. I do think he's an NFL caliber quarterback. The key is he can play the position. He understands the position. He's been in the league for nine years, but my God, $150 million, the way they throw money around in the NFL. It's just shocking to me against a guy who's never won a playoff game and a guy who seems to have gone backwards and, and is stuck in the mud. And in crucial moments, his entire career, he's made bad decisions. And that's just a fact. I don't think Josh McDaniels helped him out any here, but um, I, I don't see $150 million. And this was the press conference. Here's Derek Carr saying he liked New Orleans going there because of what their defense did to him when they came to Las Vegas. Past year when, I would say us, but y'all beat our faces in, you know, here at the Superdome. <laughs> uh, you know, you could feel the physicality that they played with. You could feel um, the energy, the, the brotherhood. You could feel those things, and I was so pissed after the game excuse my language but you know i could i was like wow you know what a what a what opportunity it is to make that is one of my choices now you know and uh you know so again the rankings and stats of da be the first one to tell you none of that stuff matters anything i've done in the past anything that they've done in the past doesn't matter it's about what we're going to do uh, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't think very much, Derek. And I mean, really, because you said pissed, you apologize. I'm going to say ass on the air, and I'm not going to apologize for it. I mean, come on, man. That is ridiculous, dude. And, and uh, you know, I like Derek Carr. I do. As a person, he's a nice guy. He's always been very accommodating to the media. But, you know, I, that that's just overblown. And and New Orleans, like I said, you're going to find out. We see Spencer, we've only got a minute to give you. I wanted to give you more. But what do you think about this move to New Orleans for Derek Carr? And what do you think it, the Saints will do with Derek Carr calling signals? Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, to be honest with you. And I think personally, my biggest takeaway from all of this is how happy I am that he's not on the Raiders anymore. I just think it's a storyline that's gone forever. Raiders fans are insufferable. He's finally found a home. Now, I'd be shocked if the Saints didn't win the division next year. They play in the worst division in football by a very, very large margin. You have a division where the Panthers gave up everything to get to the first overall pick. They're bad. You have Kyle Trask starting for Tampa Bay, so it's going to be a disaster. He's going to have an easy road to the playoffs. And then 
possibly just play him out in the first round. You know, he's only made it to the first round twice, technically. One time for real, and I think that there's a very high chance of losing the first round. It just shows how desperate some of these teams are for a quarterback and how bad some of these front offices are, you know, to go after a quarterback that is not worth it. Like the Giants, you know, going for Daniel Jones. It's just a common trend for teams, and especially Dennis Allen, who feels probably on the hot seat. It's just one of those things to sell seats, you know, for the Super Bowl. I agree with you, Spence. Hey, we're out of time. Uh, The Jets are making a big move for Aaron Rodgers. Only need to clear 600K more. Done deal. It's It's not officially done. He's going to the Jets. Max has done it. Listen, we're out of time. I'm Brian Feldman. I want to thank Jim Gemma for joining the show today. Always Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski and our director behind the wheels of steel, Chris Magnum Chapman. We are here every Sunday morning, 8 to 9, Fox Sports Radio. Out of line. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.